Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Good morning, everyone, and um, I hope you've had a great morning worshipping God where you are um, and just taking time to uh, really just reflect and, and worship him and, and, um, and to acknowledge that he is God in our world. Um, before I jump in this morning, I do wanted to share briefly about something new that's going to be happening in regards to our, our prayer ministry. It's been noted to me that um, there is a, a difficult connect, um, difficulty connecting at the present time, um, and there will be for the foreseeable future, but we want to help overcome that a little bit uh, amongst our church. And so starting next week, uh, we're going to be um, using our de- directory as a bit of a guide for how we can be praying for those in our church. And so from Monday to Friday, we're going to take two letters. Um, on most days, it might be one less on, on a day if there's a lot of people on a particular letter. But we're going to be um, praying for two of the letters in our directory. So that means we'd pray for the A's and B's or, or whatever the f- two letters in their clumps are. And um, in addition to that, um, Sarah Ware, who's one of our prayer coordinators, she's going to be contacting the people that we're going to be praying for the next day. So if you're going to be prayed for on Monday, Sarah will be contacting you on a, mo- on a Sunday to find out um, some praise points, some prayer points for you and your family and your current situation. And we're going to share those with the church. And as a church, we're going to commit to praying for one another this way. Uh, it means that um, we'll be able to pray for most people uh, at least twice uh, during the month. And so, it's, again, this is a, a way that we can keep in touch and be um, still being the church as God intended. So that's going to be starting this week. Really excited about um, yeah, hearing what God is doing in your life as a way of testimony, hearing what your needs are so I can join with others and pray for those needs. And so I um, uh, want to keep doing that as, as a church as much as we can. Today, um, though, we're just jumping in. We're starting something brand new um, for the next um, few months. Uh, I haven't got an end date on it. Um, there's a possibilities of going on for weeks and weeks and weeks, uh, but it'll probably be going on for a few months. Um, now, what we're going to be looking at today is based on this book here. So I'm not sure how well you can see that. Um, it's basically called Experiencing God, and it's got a subline, Knowing and Doing the Will of God. Uh, this is actually a study that I did uh, in my very late teens or very early 20s. Either way, it's, I've done this book over um, 20, 20 years ago, a bit, bit more than that. And um, I just remember at the time it uh, being of great impact. And I suppose one of the reasons it came to mind um, for, to, to me for this was to actually, how do we know where God is working? And, and our current situation is one of those things. It's, has God just put pause on the button and, and the church will go back to work when we are able to meet again? Um, does God stop working? Does, does God, is God going to wait till all this passes until we, we get out of, of, of social lockdown or isolation or whatever that is? 
And, and I believe God is working all the time and God is inviting us to be a part of that work. And again, each situation is going to bring up new challenges, and, and, but God doesn't stop working. And so I want us to, over the next uh, few months, explore this idea of how we can experience God more and uh, in so doing, um, know and actually do the will of God, which becomes really important to the first step of experiencing God. It's actually one of these secular sort of ideas that the more that we experience God, we'll do, know and do His will. The more that we know and do His will, the more we experience God. Um, and so, um, yeah, no matter what the situation in our world, there is always an opportunity to experience God and to know and to follow His will. Um, now, just, just jumping straight in there today, uh, the first point I want to make is that Jesus is our way. Now, it's not a simplistic Sunday school answer. The whole, the whole phrase there is key to this because Jesus is our way. Um, when it comes to finding our way, finding God's will, finding what we're meant to be doing. Uh, Henry Blackaby, actually, uh, who wrote the book, he actually said there's two options. I've actually added a first option in, or a, a preface option because I think there's three things that we can do when it comes to finding God's will for our life. The first one is, it's quite a, it might be a nice, but it's a selfish sort of option where we actually come with our plans to God and saying, God, um, here's my plans. I'm okay if you do a little bit of alteration, but not too much. Um, I've even included you in my plans. I've got, I've got times for you on Sunday and, and small group during the week. And I've got a number of good deeds programmed in. I'm going to give the right amount of money. I'm going to be a nice person at work. Can you actually just rubber stamp my plans and we're all good? I think a number has fallen into that category, whether it's at times or whether we've done that our whole life saying, God, Bless my plans and that's the way I will do your will. The second option is um, is the person who kind of is probably overly involved. Um, rather than being a disciple of Jesus, they want to be his secretary. Uh, they come up with questions, Lord, what do you want me to do now? Why do you want me to do it? When do you want me to do it? Where do you want me to do it? Who do you want to be involved with um, uh, while I'm doing it? And most of all, Lord, what will the outcome be at the end? Because that kills us at times and God sort of sets us in a path and we're not sure how it's going to turn out. There could be like a, a Billy Graham crusade and thousands come to know Jesus or we do something and we have one conversation about God sort of. And, and sometimes we kind of go, well, God, if it's going to be good, then I'm happy to do it. But if it's not going to, be, if it's not going to have the fruit or the results I want, I'm not sure I want to get involved. But then we have the third option, which is this. Lord, just tell me what to do one step at a time and I will do it. You see, with option two, we do have a desire to do something for God, but it comes, but we just want directions. We just want God to sort of go, um, this is the way you've got to go and we'll take it from there. And God, if I've got any questions, I'll come back and ask you. If I need a help, I'll get you on the phone and you might be able, you might be able to help me out over the phone. We're happy to go off and do it by ourselves. Um, and if nothing else, if we finish early doing the things that God wants us to do, we can get back to doing our own thing. But see, option three requires us to wait on, to walk with, and stay in relationship with Jesus. See, John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the way. 
He did not say, I will show you the way. He did not say, I will give you a roadmap. He did not say, I will point you in the right direction. He said, he is our way. And this is why relationship is essential to the Christian life. And I'm going to take a slight tangent here. Um, I, I know I don't know who will be listening or watching this uh, today or into the future. But one of the things as we talk about this in the coming months, um, as I've just said, relationship with Jesus is essential for us experiencing God and knowing and doing his will. And so for some of you, you might be sort of um, connecting in. Someone has passed a page on you. Someone shared a page with you. You're watching for the first time. Maybe you're exploring the under idea of, of who Jesus is. Maybe you've, you've got onto the wrong page and you're just watching for this morning. But if you're wanting to truly experience God, what you need to do, you need to be in a relationship with him. And, and so if you're wanting to find out a bit more about that, um, please contact us through the Facebook page and I'd love to talk to you more about what, what it is to know Jesus, how you come to know Jesus and, and a bit more and answer any questions that you might have. So, um, so I do want to just mention that just in case we've got anyone who's uh, online with us and uh, not sort of um, understanding where that's coming from. So, but going back to that point, it is essential to be in relationship with Jesus for the Christian life, to experience him and to know and to do his will. Next, though, we have Jesus is our way, but Jesus is also our model. He actually models the type of behavior that will help us to experience God. Now, first of all, as we look at scripture, we actually see Jesus um, models this when he and, and how God calls us. Jesus called his disciples. And how he, he wanted his disciples to rely upon him, God wants us to rely upon himself. So Jesus becomes our model in this. So first of all, what we see is that Jesus didn't spend time convincing his disciples of this great elaborate plan. He didn't go into all the details. He didn't sort of promote it in a way that it would sort of go, hey, guys, this is great. Sign up. Put your name on the dotted line. He didn't tell them how it would turn out. He didn't even really go into the details what was in it for them. He didn't really do that. In fact, Jesus, um, um, when he invited his disciples, it was very brief. Um, with Peter and Andrew, um, after fishing that day in, in, um, in the Gospels, we see um, Jesus said to um, uh, Peter and Andrew, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. A few verses down, we actually see you give an invitation to James and John. And again, I'm not sure if he gave the same invitation, but how it's written, it's even less. It says he called to James and John. So he may have got Peter and Andrew and walking down the beach and he sort of waves at, at, at um, James and John. Hey, guys, come with us. No real much details there at all. We see it again um, for Matthew. Matthew basically is sitting down working uh, at his job as a tax collector. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks past and he says these two words, follow me. All these men got up and followed Jesus at that request. They didn't ask for the details. They didn't know exactly what they were going to be expecting. They didn't know what they were going to experience. They didn't know how about the cross. They didn't know about after the cross. They, they hopped in and they stayed in Jesus' presence. They didn't go to a classroom and learn about Jesus. They walked with him. They got to know him. They learned about him. He learned about them. They knew that he loved them. And so Jesus was very much aware of that. See, knowing and following God is not so much about the information. It is about the presence of God himself that is important. And where we might be quick to question God, who, what, where, when and why and how, 
for us to get to the place where we are fully in sync with God, we just need to be present with him. Also, Jesus is our model. Um, we look at John 5, 17, it says, But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. You see, the father has been working up until now. He basically was making the point, God the Father has been working up until this point. And now he has me working. We jump down to verse 19 in John 5. And it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does. Likewise, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he shows him all that he himself is doing. In that we see these few points. I do nothing of my own initiative. Jesus didn't sort of go off and do something and come back and show God. He actually did stuff that God the Father asked him to do. He actually looked for what the Father was doing. Jesus realized because God loved him, he showed him everything he was doing. So we start to get this idea because God is a God is a work around me and you, and we have to see what He is doing and join Him there, not the other way around. You see the you see the significance of that. Sometimes we we start doing something and say, God, come and bless this work, come and do this, come and be at our church. And sometimes we need to switch our view and say, God, where are you working? God, what are you doing? And how can we join with Him in doing that? And so, yeah, so Jesus is our way. Jesus is our model. But if we get them to the point then, if we want to know and, and, and um, follow and do God's will and experience him more, we need to be learning to be a servant of God. Now, an idea of a, sermon, a servant in our mind is probably something that goes up to their master, says, what do you want me to do? They get the job description and they go off and do it. Come back and say, I finished that. What's next? And keep going that way. What's next? And keep doing it. And, and if they're a good servant, they'll do it to the, the master's ability, uh, ex- expectation. If bad servant may get in trouble for not doing it at his best. But the biblical idea of a servant is, is like a potter in clay. Now, what I mean by that, the potter, uh, the first of all, for um, the, the, the clay, it needs to be moldable. So the potter, the, the potter is the master in this picture. He actually is able to shape the clay, exactly the way he wants it. But secondly, once he's made something, so for example, he makes a cup. The cup is always going to be dependent on the master and the maker to actually be of use and be put to purpose. He can only be used when the master fills the cup up. He can only be the use when it's in the master's hands. And so that's something very significant for us to remember as a servant. This Total dependence is needed for us to be at the center of God's will. See, the the master alone can use the instrument as he chooses, and the servant can do nothing of kingdom value by himself or herself. We see this really completely in John 15, 5, and it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, staying in God's presence and maintaining our relationship uh, is with utmost importance. We need to make sure that we, um, we don't get caught up in the idea of doing God's will and skip the step of experiencing God. We may have heard it said to us um, and said to even said, we may have even said it to others, 
Don't just stand there, do something. But when it comes to sort of staying in God's hand, it might be better off saying, saying this, don't just do something, stand there. And then so we wait on and in God. So God wants us to learn how to be a servant of God. But then what we need to recognize, especially in experiencing God and, and knowing and, and doing his will, that God does work through his servants. Uh, in his book, um, uh, Henry Blackaby, and he will probably talk about this quite a bit, he talks about the seven realities. And we actually see the seven realities sort of play out in the life of Moses. Um, that The Bible reading that was read earlier was just sort of a little bit of an intro for that. Um, but the seven realities uh, look like this. Number one, God is always at work around you. God was at work around Moses. Um, we, we see that in his life. And uh, in Exodus 2, 23 and 25, during that long period, uh, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. And so God looked on them, uh, looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So God was at work around Moses, even before Moses got involved. Moses wasn't the hero. He didn't sort of come in and go, oh, God, is, God needs me to do something. God was very much at work. God was already at work. And even the, the work that he did in, in preserving Moses' life was work that was beyond Moses' control. It prepared him for something later on. Uh, and the journey that Moses took um, became something that God could use to bring about God's purposes. And so Moses had to get to a point where he realized he was a servant of God. So God was working around Moses. But also, secondly, God pursues a continual um, love relationship with us that is real and personal. And we see again that in, in Moses' life. We see a God that actually pursued him, who found him in the desert, who, who journeyed with him throughout his life and, and had opportunities to meet with him. Moses actually went and met with God and, and was in his presence. Um, and from what we read earlier, we see that God initiated that um, relationship with Moses. He found him near Mount Sinai with a burning brush and he invited him in to be um, in that relationship. And God then actually maintained that relationship with Moses. God invites us to become involved uh, with him in his work. That's number three. And see, God invited Moses to become in, involved with what he was doing. We actually see this direct invitation uh, later on in, in chapter three, where Moses is called to be a part of, of the work that's coming, be a part of, of what's happening. And God actually says to him in, in um, Exodus 3, 8 to 10, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land into, into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God had heard the people. God says, I've, I've heard that and I've decided to do something. And you want to know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send you. Moses got invited into, to, into this work to be involved with what God was already doing. Um, and so that becomes something that, again, God invites us to be a part of what he's doing. Number four, God speaks by the Holy Spirit 
and to, and other aspects like prayer, the Bible, circumstances, and the church to reveal Himself, His purposes, and His ways. Exodus three three four and six says, "When God, when the Lord saw that He had gone over um, to look, God called to Him from within the bush, Moses, Moses." And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. What you see here is God is actually beginning this conversation with Moses to reveal the plans that he has for Moses. God's plans for Moses. And he actually actively reveals them to him. Moses doesn't have to go looking for them. He knows exactly what God is expecting him to do, which actually leads us to the next point. God's invitation for for us to work with him always leads um, us or ourselves to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. It did for Moses. When God asked Moses to go lead the people out of Israel, this was his response. Moses said, first of all, who am I? Who am I to go do this? Who am I that I'm so special that that can happen? Secondly, what if they don't know you? He, uh, he made this question, who should I say sent me? What if they don't know your name? What, what name should I give them? He also said, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? And then he said, I can't speak good. I can't, I can't do the good talking. People... And then finally comes up to this this suggestion to God, please send someone else. Moses is is making a a case for not being the right person. And God, being God, says, I've prepared you for this time. I've prepared you for this journey. I want you to say yes to me. But Moses had to go through a crisis that led to faith in action. He had to do something about it. If he didn't, he would have just stayed in the desert looking after the sheep of his father-in-law. So as we come to that point where we have that crisis and we need to sort of act, number six says you must make major adjustments in your life to join in what God is doing. Now, this is important because, again, you hear that phrase major adjustments, you're kind of going, well, major adjustments, that sounds a bit scary. And it can be. Like what happened for Moses is a significant adjustment. But it can be an adjustment through the way that we think about ourselves, think about our time, think about the things that are important to us, those can be significant adjustments as well. Now, in saying that, I'm not going to cop out and say God is not going to call us to some things that may be really significant. It might mean he wants us to change jobs. It might mean that he wants us to move towns. It might mean that he wants us to um, pick up a new job or he might want us to do something else. It, it doesn't mean that it won't be significant and it's not going to cost us. But again, if we're wanting to experience God, We need to be at a place that he wants us to be, that God is working. And so once we move through that crisis, we will need to make adjustments. Because otherwise, if we're not doing that, we're actually coming to God with our option one plan. God, here is my life. Bless this. And what we're really wanting to get to, we're wanting to get to a place where we can experience God in his fullness. And that means being where God is and walking with him. We see this in life of Moses uh, in Exodus 4, 19 and 20, or an aspect of it. This is more than what he, um, um, he had to make adjustments on. In verse 19, it says, Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all, all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. You, 
So all of a sudden, Moses actually had to leave his wife's home. He had to leave a, a job, a secure job. Um, he had to, his family had to come with him. But also on top of that, he had to go to a place where a generation ago, people wanted to kill him. He had to go to a place of where he may not be wanted. He had to go to a place where it was going to be harder. And so, again, that was the adjustment that Moses needed to make. And that's a necessary part of coming to a place where we experience God in his fullness and know and do the will of God. Um, number seven of, of the things that, um, of these seven realities that Henry Blackaby talks about is that you come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. I've seen that a, a number of times in my life where I experience God more when I am doing the things that he wants me to do. Now, I can be doing, I can be busy. I can be doing the things that I want to do. I can be doing the things that I think other people want me to do. I can be busy doing the things that might make me look more important or more valued or more successful. But we will experience God more when we are doing the things, we're obeying him in the things that he has asked us to do and accomplishing his work through us. See, Moses experienced God more and more through obedience and in experience in that experience, his faith and trust grew. Now, we, we see that because you see the first encounter of Moses with God where he basically went, um, no, not me. I'm not special. I can't talk good. Find someone else was this Moses' response. And then he went through and he, he did the 10 plagues through um, uh, Egypt. And, and after the people get let, let, let go after the Passover, they come to the Red Sea. And so the people had seen all these amazing things, but still their faith was a little bit shallow. And so he comes to the Red Sea and all of a sudden the Egyptian army has, has hemmed them in. They're blocked. The only thing they can do is swim or fight. There's nothing else that they can do. And so the people are quickly sort of moved. They, they start complaining against Moses, saying, Moses, why did you bring us here to die? We could have died back in Egypt. But Moses was okay. Moses prayed and he came to the underwater. And as he walked into the water, the Red Sea opened up and the nation of Israel walked through. Moses again showed faith time and time again. As he experienced God more and more, he became more assured of who, who he was in God. So we see the experience from the burning bush to the Red Sea, right up to the point of the promised land where God was able to continue that relationship with Moses. And Moses continued in God's will, both knowing it and doing it, and because of that experience him more and more. So that's where I want to sort of wrap up a little bit today and finish up. Um, and as we start to this journey to experience God and to know and to do his will. And I just want to leave you with one final thought, because some of you still might be at that, uh, that asking this question. And I know I've had it before. Um, what is God's will for my life? Um, put up your hand if you ever asked that question before. Now, for those who are with other people, you're looking around, you've got people with their hands up, maybe by hopefully at home putting your hands up, you might look feel a bit foolish. But yeah, it's quite a common question to ask. What is God's will for my life? I don't know what to do. You might be sort of going to university or, or looking at getting married or, or changing jobs or, or moving and you're going, what is God's will for my life? The problem is when you ask the wrong question, you will always get the wrong answer. Think about that for a second. If you're always asking the wrong question, you can't get the right answer to the wrong question. What is God's will for my life is not the right question to be asking. 
I'm not, not being tricky here. The right question is, what is God's will? What is God's will? Let's drop the my life about it because, again, my, our lives shouldn't be about what we want and what we want to achieve. Our lives are about sort of seeing God's kingdom come in us, our church, our community, and into the world. And so the question that we need to be asking is, what is God's will? What is God doing? And what is my response to what God is doing? Am I going to join him in that work? Am I going to experience him more? Or I'm going to sit back and sort of let someone else sort of experience that. The focus needs to be on God and not our own lives. Now, again, some of you struggle with that idea because you are really important to yourself. I'm not saying that in a, a, a facetious way or anything like that. But if we want to truly experience God, which is where we go in the next few months, we need to be able to let go of ourselves and to grab onto God more. That's really important. Uh, if you can't let go of yourself, you are going to limit the amount that you experience God. You could actually really make that minimal in your life. But if we are able to let go of ourselves and say, God, I want to experience you. I want to know your will. And finally, I want to do it. That's the journey that we want. I want to take us on over the next few months and love to hear how God is doing that in your life. Uh, feel free to keep and, and contact me, play stuff in the comments, send me an email um, as we start this journey and as you experience that as well. Um, again, if you're wanting a few resources from Henry Blackaby, uh, you can get a number of his stuff um, on as an ebook and things like that. You might even be able to order the, a physical book if you want to. Um, I know some, some really good stuff in there. Um, and so there's everything from devotionals to uh, a book and then the study book that I showed you earlier, um, which goes over 13 weeks. So um, again, challenge you to, to engage with that as well. Uh, I just want to wrap up with some prayer for today. Um, uh, thank you all for joining us again and um, being with us. Lord, um, we know that you are present uh, even in, in the midst of this technology. We thank you for that. Um, Lord, I I pray for, for me, I pray for our church, I pray for the individuals in our church, I pray for others who are listening in today, that they will have the desire to experience you fully. It sounds great, but there is a bit of a scary process involved because all of a sudden we walk away from ourselves and we walk directly to you. Now again, the more that we experience you, the more that we trust in you, the more that we, we love you, the more that we want to follow you and, and be in your presence. And so, Lord, I pray you create that desire in us that we are wanting to grow and to experience you fully, that we want to know and importantly do your will. Uh, Lord, help, help us to, to see around us, to see what you are doing, especially at this time, Lord. Open our eyes up to what, what you are wanting to do in, in our lives, in the lives of our family, in our workplaces, in our community, in our world, Lord, and help us to join in with that and to, to be called to do your will in that way. We pray this in your name and protect us in the week to come. We pray this in your most precious name. Amen.